Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Happy New Year. If you guys are new with us, maybe it's your first time, you've been here a few weeks. My name is Carrie. I'm one of the pastors here at the Movement Church. My wife is that beautiful woman who is just up on stage. And it's at this time every Sunday where I pray quietly in my head, God, please let my zipper be up. I just figured I'd give you some insight. Maybe one day I'll be a mature, uh, great leader and pastor. But until then, I just have those thoughts on a regular basis. Anybody else kind of normal out there today? Okay, good. A few of you. The rest of us pray for us. But I'm excited excited about today. We're starting a brand new series. At the Movement Church, we, we package sermons into series very similar to a book. So each week is like a different chapter, kind of unpacking, unfolding different components. So you don't want to miss a Sunday. And if you do, make sure you catch the podcast because really it's, it's they go together, right? And, and this is the best Sunday to be here. It's the first Sunday of 2019. It's the first Sunday of our series called First and Most. And we're calibrating this to really prepare each of us to have the greatest year full of the fullness of what God wants to do in and through us in 2019. And kind of this, the concept, the heartbeat behind first and most is this idea that, that you and I were created to live from a place of fullness, not for fullness. From a place of approval and not for approval. To live from a place of love and not for love. And I believe at the core of who I am that, that you and I, we've got to get that. That's, that, that's got to come first and most from who God is. And that's backward or reverse in so much of our culture today. And that's the, way, the reason we started this series out thinking, man, maybe we can get our lives aligned with God's trajectory for our lives as we go into this amazing year. Here's a question to really ask yourself, and we'll explore this over the next few weeks to come, but some questions that I think would be worth sitting down and thinking through. One of them is this, can you live the way you're living right now for decades? Can, can you live and operate and function the way that you currently are for decades to come? Is that a reality? I think another question worth asking yourself is, am I living a life that I'd want to give away to someone else? Is this a life that I would go, yeah. Maybe you're raising children thinking, yeah, I want my kids to live this kind of life. And maybe you're not raising kids, but let's say proverbially you are. Is the life that you're currently living one you'd want to pass down to your children? I think one thing that's important for us to recognize is that we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. And I don't know what your faith journey is up until this moment. In fact, at the Movement Church, permission to belong before you believe. In fact, it's been my hope and my dream my entire life that we could be a part of a church where people who believe in who Jesus is and those that aren't really sure what they believe can coexist in the same place, but will always challenge you to press into who God is. So regardless of your faith journey, if you're here today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then I would really challenge you to allow God to stretch perhaps your perspective, 
your lifestyle, your choices, and really allow God to do some rearranging of the furniture in your heart. I want to challenge you to be with us for the next four weeks, but also, as we do every year, I want to challenge you to be a part of our 21-day challenge. We do this every January as we kind of gear up and prepare for what God's going to do. If you want information about this, you can text the number 21 to the number that's on the screen. We'll give you all the information, but let me boil it down. It's three things. 21 days of devotion, four weeks of worship, and one hang session. I want to challenge you to not just simply listen to a sermon, but for 21 days, press in with devotion to God by incorporating prayer and Bible reading and perhaps even fasting into your life. One of the ways you can do that is by joining us. We're going to pray every morning, Monday through Saturday, early, 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 gathering at 6 a.m. to pray and allow God to realign our heart and focus on who He is. Now you think, some of you are thinking, 6 a.m.? What are you talking about? Others of you are going, man, I get half my stuff done by 6 a.m. What's wrong with you? But for normal people, it is early. But I want to challenge you to be a part of it. Watch. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's going to be an amazing 21 days. Then join us for four worship experiences, four Sundays, because every Sunday we're going to challenge you mentally, spiritually, and emotionally to become who God's called you to become. And then the last thing is one hang session. Everybody say hang session. As a church, we're growing. Uh, last year, we grew almost 25% from the end of 2017 to the end of 2018. We're, we're growing a, as a church, which is amazing. We, we're here to reach Orange County until everyone has heard of the hope of who Jesus is, which means that there's some great friendships that have already been forged by people who call this church home, but there's new faces and new people that also need relationships. And so what we want to challenge you is over the course of 21 days, to hang out with somebody you've not spent time with that calls the movement church home. Maybe coffee or dinner or desserts. And just start forging potentially a relationship that could be life-changing for you or for them. 21 days of devotion, four worship experiences, one hang session. And here's what I can tell you. After 21 days, your life will not be perfect. But you will have aligned your heart, I believe, with God's trajectory for your life in 2019. So I hope you join us in this. Don't just be a spectator, but be a participator. Can we pray and dive in today's message? You don't have an option. I'm going to do it anyways. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you're here. As the song said, you are good. And no matter what we face, no matter what we're up against, you're never going to let us down. That in every season, in every challenge, in every crisis, in the valleys and in the mountaintops, you're with us. So God, I pray you'd lean in today as we endeavor to put you first and most in our lives. And God, I just thank you that you cared enough to help the Cowboys win last night. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, hey, listen, it's been a long time. I'm the senior pastor. I get to pull punches like that every once in a while. It was a good night last night, and I'm excited about the future. Hey, I want to read a scripture to you today. In fact, this is what we're going to kind of park here in about five verses over about 35 minutes, give or take a few, depending on how much you laugh and amen me. That determines how long I preach. And I want to unpack this passage today because really... As we explored this series and what God was wanting to do in and through and at the Movement Church, we felt it's essential to help us all redirect our attention to make sure God is first and most. But in order to do that, we often need the linchpin of the faith 
the very foundation, the, the precipice upon which all that we believe is founded on. And so much of that is found in the book of Romans, which was written by a man named Paul under the divine influence of the Holy Spirit to Christians or Christ's followers in Rome. And he writes this letter that I think is so profound for us that if we'll lean in and allow God to craft some things in us, it really can set us off with the right direction, the right pace for what God has for us. Look at what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. He says, therefore, now he's starting off tagging on his prior statement, which is we are no longer slaves to sin. He said, therefore, since we have been justified, everybody say justified, justified. by faith, everyone say faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word justified, it literally means to be made righteous, acquitted, vindicated. This is the actual Greek translation of the word. Listen to this. It means to be set free. We're justified just as if it never happened. We've been vindicated by faith. Everyone say faith. This is the very foundation of our belief. So many get it wrong right here because it's not by works. It's not by church attendance. It's not based upon who your mom or your dad was. It's not based upon you being perfect, having the right heritage, or the great talents. It's just simply justification by faith. Belief that, listen, Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did. And so since we've been justified, Paul says we have Peace. In other words, justification has a result. The justified person has peace and joy and hope and grace. Look at this. Paul here is talking about a peace that comes because of justification, but this is a peace with God, not the peace of God. Both are available to those who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, the, the peace that God gives that in the midst of the darkest time of my life or the greatest crisis or the worst challenge that I've faced, I can still have a peace that just doesn't make sense. Like right now, I have a peace that the Cowboys are going to win week two of the playoffs. And that doesn't make sense, friends. That's the peace of God. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's referring to a subjective, he's not referring, by the way, to a subjective feeling but to an objective fact peace with God I'm justified listen and I'm no longer an enemy of God but I'm at peace with him I don't know about you how many of you liked history growing up in school anybody history fans okay some of my favorite classes and courses, and one of my favorite times to study was Civil War because it was single-handedly one of the darkest times for us as a nation because of the choices we have made, but also single-handedly we saw some of the greatest heroes rise up and stand for justice, one of which is Abraham Lincoln. And he was largely criticized for his leniency towards Southern troops in both his tactics and how he approached them as prisoners. And the reason he was lenient toward them is because he hoped for and knew that at one day we would be reconciled as a nation again. 
one nation, not separated by north and south. Now listen, people, men and women on both sides of that equation had a completely different desired outcome. Both Yankees and rebels had hoped that the war would end and we would sweep in and hang the enemy, destroy him, wipe him off the face of the planet. But Abraham Lincoln said, no, no, no. We don't even want to fight this war. But we're standing up for justice and as a result, we've got to come back together in the end. And listen to me, people, followers of Jesus, those of you here that are in this room, regardless of your faith background, our souls are at war with God because of sin. I want to unpack this for a moment. I think the best way to do so is to pull from one of the great theologians and, and biblical scholars, George Lucas. Any George Lucas fans in here? Darth Vader, my friends, was born to be a Jedi. Now, how many of you just leaned in? You're excited. Others of you think I'm sacrilegious. Okay, so Darth Vader was born to be a Jedi. That was what he was born to do. But because of the temptation of an evil emperor, he caved to the dark side. But what we know is that there was internally a war waging trying to pull him back to the force, which we finally saw in Return of the Jedi, right? Can I get an amen from some George Lucas fans? When he saves Luke Skywalker and he comes back to the force, there was something inside of him compelling him to be who he was created to be. Look at me in the eyes for a moment. You and I need to know that our souls are at war with God because of sin. God created us for the purpose of relationship. Look at me in the eyes. Because he loves you and he loves me. The Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. Every day God would show up and they would just hang out. Hit Starbucks and just chill for a little bit. That's what Adam and Eve jacked up. And he did this, he built this and created this relationship, not a robotic love, not a mandatory dictatorship. No, what he did was gave us free will, choice. He said, I want to have a relationship with you. This is what it takes. And all you have to do is just say no to the temptations of evil or sin. And you know the story. Adam and Eve caved to the dark side. We chose sin, which brought separation. Pause for a moment. Not separation from God's love, but from relationship. I have two daughters. And my hope and prayer is that they make great choices all the days of their life. But if there comes a season in their teenage years or young adulthood where they start making foolish choices, it doesn't matter what they do or what they walk through. I may have to kick them out of my house at some point, but I will still love them. Are you tracking with me? I hope I don't have to kick him out of my house. <laughs> so sin doesn't separate us from the love of God. It just separated us from the relationship with God. And there's a consequence for sin. And you get this. It doesn't matter what your faith background is. If you speed past a police officer, you're going to get a ticket. That's a consequence. You get, we get this. This is fundamental. There's a consequence for sin. A ransom or price must be paid Enter Jesus. This is the purpose for Jesus. He took on the sin of humanity to reconcile us with God. 
The price that he paid brings vindication or justification to be justified, to be vindicated, acquitted, set free. Why? Because we've been justified with God. We now have peace with him. Our soul is no longer at war with him. Look at me, which means the justified person no longer should be tormented by questions of my relationship with God based upon shame. But yet, so many Christ followers still live with the mindset that I am a human, therefore I'm a sinner, and I can fall out of the grace of God. If you qualify as a human, you qualify as a sinner. But we've been justified, made righteous, vindicated, and set free. But how? How? Through Jesus. Look at verse 2. Through him. Jesus. We've also, this, I love the word picture here. We're going to unpack this for like 30 seconds. We have also obtained access, everyone say access, by faith, everyone say faith, into his grace, everyone say grace, in which we stand. Listen to that. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Through him, which is Jesus, we gained access by faith. Why? Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity, taking on literally the punishment and thus vindicating all who believe. But I'm still a sinner. I still sin. I'm still imperfect. I don't feel like I deserve this vindication. And you're right, you don't. Enter grace. Grace. Thanks, Megan. <laughs> Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace. We have obtained access. I love the word picture that Paul is using here. Now, remember, he wasn't writing to a 21st century upper class South Orange County group. He was writing to a, a formerly Jewish population who had become followers of Jesus, probably lost all of their family in the process, in Rome under the tyranny of the Roman Empire. So Paul is using words that have to do with royalty and a hierarchy. And the imagery here is that of a commoner who is given access into a throne room. We have obtained access to his grace. And I don't know if you know this, but Roman rule and hierarchy was literally designed to keep commoners out. If you wanted to approach as a, as a commoner, if you wanted to approach a throne room, you actually had to have been summoned in order to even appear. Or you had to have been born into the right heritage. But not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Through him. We have also obtained access by faith into his grace. I love the word picture Paul continues to use. Into grace in which we stand. Everyone say stand. Stand. And he uses imagery on purpose. And he's pulling from a court system. Which in those days, if you were accused or you were the defendant, you would literally stand before a judge or jury. In fact, we still use those terms today, to stand trial. 
And the idea of to stand is as a defendant, you stood on your testimony of truth. So to stand was to say, this is my truth. To this day, if the courts aren't sure if an individual is mentally able to handle the trial, they would say he's not fit to stand trial. In other words, he's unfit or unable to identify his or her truth. When a judge says the ruling stands in a court of law, what he's saying is this is truth. And that's what Paul is saying. The grace is our truth. And grace is the unmerited favor which you and I do not deserve. The grace upon which we stand. Not the notion that you deserve this and not the notion that you are too far removed. But it is a grace given to you and to me through Jesus received by faith. God's grace is my truth. It is my truth. And I stand on this and nothing else. He chose me. He chose you. He loves you. He approves of you. To him, you are enough. But you don't know where I've been. You're right, I don't, but he does. And he still chose you. In the darkest season of your life, he chose you. This is my identity. I stand on the grace that I receive by faith through Jesus. My identity is the grace. It is not the house that I own, nor the number of followers that I have, nor the title at work that I just received, nor something that I can achieve. It's just simply the fact that His grace chose me. His grace chose me. Me. I want to read some statistics to you for a moment. I'm going to omit or, or leave out the common contributing factor. And what I'd like for you to do as we read these is to see if perhaps you can identify what the common contributing factor could be. Look at these statistics. 63% of teen suicides share this common contributing factor. 90% of all homeless and runaway children. of children who show behavior disorders. 80% of rapists with anger problems. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers. 85% of youths in prison. 71% of high school dropouts. 71% of pregnant teenagers. You know what the common contributing factor for these statistics is? These teens come from a fatherless home. A fatherless home. You know what the role of a father is? To give identity. I took the name of my father. I'm Kerry Robinson. And the name Robinson has been passed down generation to generation. It it literally, quite literally gives me my identity. But, but, but my dad also plays the role of helping me discover who I am. That's the role of a father. Side note for a moment, dads, please take your role seriously. You are leading right now whether you realize it or not. With what you say and what you don't say. With your action and your lack thereof. 
And let me just push pause for a moment because I know how the enemy works. Some of you, when I read that statistic, shared that common contributing factor, you thought, I I grew up in a home without a dad. There's no hope for me, and that's not the way that my God works. There's 100% hope for you. I'll explain that in just a moment. And some of you think, my kids are grown, or I don't have kids in my home. Well, hey, you can still impact the next generation. It's why we spend and invest so much into movement kids. Here in this church, single moms, it's okay. Not only does God God has you, but we got you. That's why we exist as a church. So you are not alone. We have a profound role and impact to play in the lives of people. Why? Because it brings identity. It's God's grace. Justification wrapped up in the packaging of grace. Grace is a gift that you don't deserve, given through Jesus, received by faith. You cannot lose it because you didn't do anything to earn it. Look how God unpacks this whole concept of being a father. He reframes our paradigm of who he is, and it's found in Romans 8, chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 15, and and what Paul's about to say is actually in that time was somewhat scandalous. He says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Look at this. But you have received the spirit of, what's that word? Adoption. 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 As sons or daughters. In other words, adoption means I chose you. And then he goes on to say, and this is where it becomes scandalous, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now this was scandalous, and let me explain to you why. Because for a Jewish culture, the name of God and who God was was so revered and so esteemed that it was literally in their mind and culture kept at such a distance that even the scribes, The men who were appointed and anointed to translate the scripture and to write it down, there was such a methodical process to it that literally they had to start from one direction to the other. And if they made a mistake on one piece of paper, they had to start over from scratch. But when they came to writing the name of God, Yahweh, the scribe would put his pen down and he would announce, I'm about to write the name of God. And he would pick up the pen and he would begin to write the name and he could not stop until he was finished because of the reverence for who God was. Even if the king were to walk into the room, he could not stop writing the name of God. And when he would put the pen down, he's finished, he would put the pen down and he would pray a prayer. So for Paul to come in and say, no, he's adopted us as sons and daughters by whom we call Abba. And Abba very real translates into dad or daddy. So he made God relatable, not a distant deity who's uninvolved and unloving and doesn't care, but a very real, very present, very loving dad. I've got a great friend who early on in childhood, his mom and his father got a divorce. His dad made some poor choices and kind of became non-existent in his life. His mom remarried and married an amazing man. And to hear my friend talk about these two men in his life is it's quite impressive because he refers to his biological dad as his father. 
but he refers to his stepfather as his dad. And you know why? Because his stepdad was present. His stepdad was involved. It gave him a sense of identity, and his stepdad to this day still loves him. So it has very little to do with the bloodline of who your actual father is and more to do with the concept of what God wants to do. He's given you an identity. You are his. Chosen. You, listen, you don't have to hustle for your worth. You can stand on the grace that you have received by faith through him. I just wonder what would shift in our lives, in our worlds, if we didn't just have this knowledge, but we had this understanding. Not just the insight from reading a scripture, but the understanding that I am his. I wonder what would shift in your life if your worth wasn't dependent upon accomplishing something amazing. Or if your worth wasn't dependent upon being the person that people turn to when they're down. Or if your worth wasn't depend upon, dependent upon the perceptions that other people have of you. Or whether or not you're the most creative and unique individual. I wonder what would happen in your life if your worth wasn't based upon whether people go to you for all the insight and for all the wisdom. And I, I wonder what would happen in your life if your worth was not based on whether or not you have everything under control or are loved and admired by everyone? Or what if your worth wasn't based upon whether or not you're the strongest person in the room? Look at what happens when, when, when people, when, when followers of Jesus begin to discover their worth. Look at what happens when, when people recognize that they've been chosen by God. He continues on in verse three. He says, and we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Look at verse three. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces, what's that word? Hope. There's a world desperate for hope. Hope that, that says, man, even though my dad was absent in my life, that someone still loves me. A hope that says, even in the midst of the depravity of my sin, someone still accepts me. And Paul is saying, when we recognize our identity in grace, that it doesn't matter what comes our way. Doesn't matter how many times we fail. It doesn't matter, look at me, how many times people fail us. God's in this with me and I can make it through it. That's real identity. And my friends, can I just tell you, if God's grace is sufficient for me, then man, it's sufficient for you. If he can save a wretch like me, if I could tell you the stories of the depravity of my sin, you may not come to our church anymore. You laugh. But God, His grace is so real. It's the only thing for me that helps me know, okay, I can speak today. Because every time I walk to the stage from backstage and I, I just think the thoughts, God, I don't belong up here. But your grace is sufficient. 
And he wouldn't do all of that for me and for you. Send his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting. He wouldn't do that just to lead us to that point and leave us. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And look at what verse 5 says. And hope does not put us to shame. Shame says that I've got to earn his love and his grace. Shame says I can lose his grace. And so many people, even those that have been following Jesus for decades, still struggle with this. Some of you had a hard time walking into the doors of this church because of decisions that you've made in the last 24 hours, 48 hours, 48 months. And you thought, I don't know if I should go because your concept of God is that his grace for you is dependent upon how you live. And not the fact it's a free gift. I wonder what would shift in your life. Shame says, I've got to do better, run faster, be stronger, be holier, be gooder. It's a real word. (laughs) But hope in Jesus does not lead to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. His love has been poured in. One of the best scriptures that's found in the New Testament written by the same author says that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Which means if God poured it in, no man can take it out. So then you and I are created to live from a position of love and not for love. Of fullness and not for it of approval, from approval. I'm already approved by him, chosen by him. I'm not having to live and strive and hustle to be known. I am known. And first and most, that has to come from God. It has to come from him and nowhere else. That's his heart for you, his hope for you. But it's a choice we have to make. As I was getting ready for this series, I I just wanted us, all of us, not you, but us, to to grasp the magnitude of of what it means to have my identity found in the grace that he has given me. And I I, I hope that that's what we take from this today. But I thought also, if if he's going to be first and most in my life and in yours, then then what we do first and most has a profound impact. So I want to leave you with three firsts that I believe matter for you and for me. So if you're not taking notes, this is a good time to start taking notes. Three firsts that matter for you and for me. Number one, first determine direction. The first thing you do in the morning has a profound impact in what happens that day. The first thing you do each week has a profound impact on what happens for you. That's why we come to church on Sunday, the first day of the week. We start our week off strong. Reminding ourselves that God's in control. I was talking to a pilot friend of mine yesterday. His name is Hans, and this is Franz, and we are here to pump you up. (laughs) Y'all know that one. Yeah, congratulations. We did it. We merged generations right there. And we're talking to him about flying. He flies for Delta, flies a Boeing 717. And first thing before he taxis, before he leaves the jetways, makes sure that the course is plotted. 
dials are fixed, everything's working. Because first determines direction. Don't be a spectator. Take this 21-day challenge. Get up and pray with us. I know it's early. Just do it. Just start reading the Bible. In the, the first part of your day, just try it. Wake up a little early. You can handle it for 21 days. And, and, and listen, be here on Sundays. And let's let God do some work in us. And, and do, spend some time with somebody in the church you haven't connected with. Most of the problems that we have are related to people. And you know what God designed? Our need for people to get healing. And maybe you've got a great group of friends. Congratulations. But there's some people that don't. And they need you. First determines direction. Number two, first determines what you value. Before you left your house today, you checked your appearance. I hope you did at least. You need to pop that zit, comb that hair. If you're like me, shave my nostrils and my ears. Can I get an amen from some guys? You know what I'm talking about? My hair is just evaporating and just growing on my back now. It's awesome. Be blessed with that imagery. When you get great news of a new job promotion or an engagement or maybe you're pregnant, you call the people first who are most valuable to you. First determines what you value. The first bill that you pay. You know, what's interesting is when God talks about the tithe, that as believers we're supposed to return to him, you know what it's actually referred to in the scriptures is our first fruits. It's an agricultural reference, but he's saying, hey, don't just make sure everything is taken care of in the proverbial farm and then give me the leftovers. Start with me. Start with me. For Megan and I, our, our tithe, our 10% of our income that we return to God is the top of our budget list before anything else. Why? Because first determines what I value. And God can never be last. He wants to be first. To quote the famous theologian, Ricky Bobby, if God ain't first, he's last. Be blessed. Some of y'all think this is a sacrilegious church. I'm never coming back. We don't want you here. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Lastly, first determines destination. Direction, what we value, and destination. Destination. I wonder what would happen in your life if before making major decisions or any decisions, you started with a conversation with Jesus. What do you think? I know what I want, God, but what do you want? What do you want? Well, what if your first filter was Jesus? I'm so angry at my kids or my wife or I want a wife and I'm so angry. <laughs> <laughs> or I want a new wife and I'm so angry. I've never said that. But Jesus, what do you want? I wonder what would happen in our life if we lived a life centered around who Jesus had called me to become and not who I wanted to become. God, what, what are you, 10, 15, 20 years from now, God, what are you, am I on trajectory for the target you have created? Because when I center my life on him and work on becoming who he's called me to become, I arrive at the destination he designed for me which is far better than the destination that I think is going to be great. In talking to my pilot friend, Hans, I was asking some specifics about when he's flying. He flies out of John Wayne all the time. And one of the flights he does 20 times a month is he flies from John Wayne to Atlanta. 
I said, do you actually like plot your course and you know here's where you're going to go? He goes, actually, no, we don't do that anymore. He said, all I do is go into the program and I choose the course that Delta has already determined is the best course for this flight. Delta has already plotted. Delta has the plan and the flight pattern and the altitude and the descent. It's already chosen for me. I just pushed program and then it's up to my skill set to actually get us there safely. And I thought, huh, really? I wonder, I wonder what would happen in our life. If we were to stand firm in the identity of the grace that Jesus has given me and simply fly the course that he's already set out for me, I just wonder what would take place in my life. If I didn't need to hustle for my worth, did not need the affirmation and validation of people, did not need the accolades and the accomplishments that our culture says is so vital, but I just know. I'm chosen by God. And I don't know the fullness of where I'm going, but he does, and I'm just following him. But wait a minute, Pastor Kerry, what if I fail? What if I miss it? What if I'm wrong? What if life happens? What's, what are you sure? Why? That can't be. I need to be in control. I've got to know. Jesus knew. He knew he'd struggle with this. It's kind of like he's the creator of the universe or something. And one time while speaking, which was captured by his friend named Matthew, he said some things that were so profound for you and me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, don't worry or be anxious. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? How are we going to make this thing work? What if we miss it? What if we fail? What if so-and-so walks out on me? What if they don't show up? Don't worry. Don't be anxious. For even the heathens wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things. But your heavenly Father, Dad, He knows well what you need. Look at this. He says, here's what you should do. But seek, I love the Amplified Version, aim at and strive after first, first and most, His kingdom and His righteousness, His way of doing and being right. And then I'll give you everything else you need. How many of you just say, you know what? I got to rearrange some things, but I want God first and most in my life. Would you just raise your hand? Can I pray for us? And here's what I'm going to pray. Look at me in the eyes for one moment. I'm going to pray that God wrecks your life for the ordinary this year. That he literally devastates the plans that you have until you follow the plans that he has. Is that terrifying? It should be. I'm going to pray that everything you set out to do that has nothing to do with what He wants for you will fall apart. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) And here's what I'm going to pray. The God of all comfort, the creator.
creator of the heavens and the earth, the giver of grace that you and I don't deserve, that he'll lean in and guide our steps and clear a path that we can follow him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we don't want what we want. We want what you want. I pray that everything will fall apart that we try to do in our own strength until we acknowledge that you are up to something big. We need you first and most. Nothing else. Thank you for the identity of your grace that is sufficient for me. God, help me to see all that you have for me so that we can become who you have created us to become. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Let me just take a two minutes more of your time. There are some of us in this room that everything I'm saying won't matter at all until you begin the relationship with Jesus to be reconciled in relationship to him. And there's a starting point. Not church membership, not getting perfect, but a starting point. And today might be your day for that. If you came here and you've not begun the journey, what are you waiting for? And maybe you're here and you've been running from God. And today is your day to come running back. But let's not leave here without allowing God to be in charge of the direction of our life. Can I ask you one more favor? Just for just 30 seconds, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer with me, or maybe it's the time to pray it again, in the quietness of your own heart, maybe in a small whisper, would you just repeat after me? Say, dear God, I know that you're real and that you love me. That your grace is sufficient, but I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? I want to fly the course that you have for my life. Make, make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.